1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end in sight. The crown of life, the crown of victory I shall wear. So I sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown, I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown, I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end in sight. The crown of life, the crown of victory I shall wear. So I sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown, I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God. When is the last time that you have thanked God for salvation? I mean, think about it. Maybe you have thanked God today for your salvation. Maybe not. I'm not saying that we have to thank God every single day for our salvation. But if we are a Christian, then we experience that salvation and the importance of it every single day. So I want us to take a few minutes right now to take a look at from Scripture our amazing salvation, this wonderful plan of God to redeem all of mankind. For those of you who are saved already, then this is just a wonderful reminder. For those of you who are not yet a Christian, not yet a follower of Jesus, then hopefully something that is said right here and something that maybe is, is read from the Scriptures uh, will, will help teach you, help guide you as to what to do to, to be saved and how to become a follower of Jesus. Let's take a look at it together. Let's begin by taking a look at Acts chapter 2. I love this chapter. It's like it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because in this chapter, um, you start off that the Holy Spirit comes upon what is going to be called the church. They're not exactly called the church just yet because this is going to be the first gospel sermon that is pro the, that is proclaimed. The first gospel sermon. In gospel, it means a good news. This good news is all about Jesus. And it's a follower of Jesus by the name of Peter who it's his sermon that we have recorded. And in the midst of it, now, this isn't all that he says, but this is kind of like some of, uh, kind of the ending pretty much of it. And it's some of what I would say is, you know, like some of the best parts are recorded right here for us. And especially when he comes to, what do we need to do about this? Like, how do we need to respond? What's the correct response to the gospel message? So in Acts chapter two, verses 32 through 35, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. 
exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Peter, just like he is doing right here, has already quoted several passages from the Old Testament, some of the statements that David has made, and all of them center around Jesus and who he is. And this is the big deal, that God has raised Jesus to life. I mean, when God raises somebody from the life, from, from life uh, after they have died, yeah, it's something that we should pay attention to, but especially so when we get to Jesus, because his resurrection is different, because everybody else who, is, who has ever been raised up from the dead throughout the Old Testament or even the New Testament, they were raised up from the dead, and then they died again. They, you know, they, they would get sick, or maybe just kind of old age would, would come upon them eventually, and they would die. But Jesus is not that way. Whenever Jesus was raised up back to life, he is still alive today. He did not die. He went up and he ascended and is exalted at the right hand of God. And this passage right here about the Lord said to my Lord, said to my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is one of the most quoted passages uh, from the Old Testament that we see in the New Testament uh, among many of the early sermons. It was a big deal for Jesus to be this Lord that God raised up and is sitting at the right hand of God. This is all wonderful as to what, what Peter is proclaiming, that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church, and they are hearing this good news being proclaimed in, in their midst. And this is how they go on to respond. Now in Acts chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 36 through 41 now. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. He pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And if you keep reading in this chapter, we're, we're going to end right here uh, in, from this, this chapter. But if you keep reading, you find out about what the early church was all about. And, and that is a wonderful lesson to look at at another time. But right here, we see that, that those who responded to this message, they decided that they needed to be baptized. Verse 41 talks about. And 3,000 people were added to their number. So what is this message that Peter is proclaiming. Well, he says in verse 36, and these are all wonderful kind of kind of points. And if you will, you know, it's it's kind of five. So if you kind of hold up uh, a hand, you can kind of walk through some of these. And it's this wonderful outline that we see here from Acts 2. But the first thing that we see is in verse 36. And that is that, you know, we, we need to realize and be assured of this. What What is this one thing? That God has made this Jesus, who's just been crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So that's the first thing, belief in Jesus and be, be assured uh, that this is true about Jesus, that God has made Jesus Lord and Messiah. Now, Lord, it kind of means two different things all wrapped up into one, and I guess Messiah means several things as well. But the first thing is, is Lord. That means that Jesus is the master. He is the one who is in charge. That's what the word Lord means. The word Lord also became used to, to mean God. That, that was a name for God, in fact, uh, for a long time. At this time in, in history, Lord was 
uh, what people called God. And Jesus is God. He is master. And then we also see that he's the Messiah. Messiah, uh, it when you translate it, it actually means the anointed one. And that there's a, a lot of things connected with it, but he is the special one of God. He is God's special son, and he is God in the flesh. These are things that we must have faith in, must have assurance in. So that's the first thing that we start to see. And as you keep going, when you get to verse 38, you see this wonderful statement because after Peter's just told them, this is what you need to believe. This is what you can be assured of, that Jesus is Lord and the Messiah, important things, things they had been longing for, waiting for. But then after that, they look at him and they say, what should we do? Because they, they realize God had sent the Messiah, the one that had been promised to them for hundreds of years. And they crucified him. They killed him. What do you do after that moment? How do you make things right? And now as we start working through these things in 38, Peter says, repent. Then he also tells them to be baptized. And he tells them, every single one of you need to do this in the name of Jesus Christ. So, you know, we oftentimes kind of like to focus on this whole uh, being baptized. But, you know, really, it's two different things. And all of this is is uh, comes together because they needed to repent. They needed to change. This, re this term for repentance, it has to do with a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Whenever we choose to change our mind, it's going to change our actions. And what they need to do is they need to change their mind. They need to realize Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. And they needed to repent of this, this sinfulness, of rejecting him. They needed to repent of their sins. And they needed to be baptized. Now, this for us, you know, maybe we kind of hear, and that, that's like this Christian thing. Uh, well, there wasn't so much of a Christian thing to them. Being baptized, it was something that they were used to all different types of rituals that they would, you know, kind of maybe wash in water before um, entering into this this place or at this time, and they were used to all these ceremonies. So this idea about being baptized, it wasn't necessarily just kind of an, an odd thing to them. In fact, many times if somebody wanted to become uh, a follower of, of uh, you know, Judaism, become a Jew, they would be immersed. They would be baptized, you know, dipped in water. And that was kind of a cleansing process of them saying that they're giving up their old life and coming into uh, following the God of the Bible. But now what Peter is telling them is, look, even if you're a Jew, you need to be baptized. And this to them would have been kind of a little shocking. And to us, we don't even realize the shocking factor of it. And that is that this is something that is new, that is happening in their midst. This Jesus, he is the Lord. He is the Messiah. They needed to repent. And then we see they needed to be baptized. Every single one of them needed to be baptized. And then... We come, so the first thing is our faith that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, repentance, they needed to repent, they needed to be baptized, and then they would also see here forgiveness of sins. This is something, well, even being baptized, really you are submitting to baptism, so it's something that is kind of done to you. Um, forgiveness of sins, it's not something that you do. This is God's realm. So many times in what God does, it really has to do with some of what we do but there are some things we can't do. We cannot receive forgiveness of sins in and of ourselves, but God gives us forgiveness of sins. When we choose to repent, when we choose to submit to baptism, then we can receive forgiveness of sins. And then we see finally, the last thing he says in, in verse 38 that oftentimes is overlooked, so the, the fifth and the final thing from this passage 
is he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you've been given a gift? You've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes people might kind of uh, argue about what exactly this gift is and all, but I mean, when you when you come down to it, you realize it is this gift that is connected with the Holy Spirit. And that, that is wonderful. And it is desperately needed. So these are kind of these five things, this faith in God, this repentance, that submitting to being baptized, and then God forgives you of your sins. And then God gives you this gift of the Holy Spirit. And what exactly and how exactly the Holy Spirit works in your life is likely going to be different than how he works in my life and what he does in my life. Because when you come down to kind of learning about the fruit of the Spirit, you find out there's so many different ways. From the book of Galatians, we see that, you know, that has to do with like love, joy and peace and, and patience and, and, and a bunch of other things are connected with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means whenever the Holy Spirit has come and has given us, you know, the, the fruit, the, the things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit has something to do with those things, most certainly. And this wonderful statement in verse 39 is that this promise, it's not just for the audience right there. It's not just for the ones who could hear Peter preaching, but it is for all whom the Lord our God will call. And Peter kept kind of pleading with them to listen to this message, save themselves from the corrupt generation and people who accepted this message, they were baptized. 3,000 people were baptized and they were added to the number of the believers that day. So our salvation is amazing. It is awesome. It is wonderful. In fact, I want to take us to another passage now, and let's let's leave the, the book of Acts, and let's go to some more uh, teachings from Peter. As we turn to this letter that bears the name of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. So up to this point, you know, the first nine verses talk about uh, leading up to this, this salvation, this wonderful statement about salvation. And then he goes on about this salvation. And notice this is the same type of salvation that we just looked at from Acts chapter 2 because Look, this is the same guy. He's still later on in his life. He's talking about the same thing because this salvation is so wonderful. In fact, this amazing salvation that we have been blessed with, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, this is what he says about this salvation. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that uh, they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is a call that comes from the Old Testament, and it is still repeated in the New, that we are called to be holy because God is holy. Now, Peter, at this point, he's talked about this salvation that we've received. He already talked about it in Acts chapter Two, whenever the, the church began 
And here he still brings up the salvation. He says concerning the salvation, he talks about the prophets. The prophets took so great of care. And he's talking about the prophets of the Old Testament that you read about, you know, in, in there. And, and they took the greatest of care trying to figure these things out. And, you know, ultimately they realized that it wasn't for them. It was for another generation. It's for us now. We are the ones that these prophets of old kept talking about. They were searching intently with the greatest of care. They were trying to figure out these things and all, but it all comes down to the time period in which we live and the time period that, you know, happened during the, the days of Peter, whenever uh, the Messiah, whenever Jesus Christ, who was Lord and Messiah, remember, whenever his sufferings were realized, whenever he went through those sufferings, and then we see the glories that would follow. And we see so many glimpses of it, so many things that the prophets, they wanted to see, they longed to see, but they did not see during their own days. And we see that this salvation that we experience is not just something that amazed the prophets of old, but it's also something that verse 12 tells us, even angels long to look into these things. Personally, I kind of like whenever I read this passage and I can't help but think about this, I just wonder, you know, is there a group of angels that surround us whenever we gather in, in groups or maybe, you know, even are kind of looking at you because, you know, you're watching this video that that I uh, am putting online. So, you know, angels might be kind of curious why, you know, I, as, as some guy right here, I'm recording this and who knows, they might be, you know, kind of present, paying attention of, of what's going on and, you know, what, what I'm doing, trying to figure out, you know, so this guy is talking to some computer and then, um, we see that, you know, later you're going to watch this video and maybe they're even kind of surrounding you and trying to figure out you're, you're paying attention to, you know, maybe you're watching this on your phone or maybe you're watching it on a computer or television. Uh, you know, I know people watch these in, in many different ways and maybe the angels are just kind of wondering, you know, what, what is up with this? This is kind of this amazing thing of, of how this even works, especially now with this technology that we have, but these angels, they long to look into these things. And whenever we gather in person, I wonder do, do angels kind of gather around? I mean, you know, obviously we're, we don't need to expect to see them, you know, all the time, but do they gather in our buildings with us? Are they kind of around the outskirts and just kind of looking in and, and just curious about this salvation that happens? Because as far as we can tell in the scriptures, um, the angels, they don't receive salvation like us. Jesus did not come for the angels. He came for human beings. That's powerful. That is so you know, wonderful to realize the love of God, this amazing salvation that God cares so much for us that we as humans, we messed up big time, but God cares about us that he set a plan in action for us to receive salvation. And then because of these things, because the salvation has been su such a curious thing among the prophets, among angels, in verse 13 tells us that we need to set our hope on this grace that is going to be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That's a future event, you know, that, that hasn't happened yet. But this is what we need to set our hope on. Right here, right now, we can start experiencing the, the wonderful blessings of life in Christ. But there is something amazing that is going to happen whenever Jesus is revealed at his second coming. For the time being, we are called to be obedient children. We are called to be holy because God is holy. Peter continues in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 25, and he says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but 
with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the, the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is so important because our salvation, it deals with this precious blood of Christ. That is what we have been redeemed with. Not, not some physical things, you know, gold or silver. Not, not that. Verse 19 tells us it's with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb that was offered for us, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 20 tells us that this plan has been chosen before the creation of the world. God knew all well and good exactly what he was doing and when he was going to do it. Jesus knew it as well. And now we see that all this comes to us and we can be told about these things. Verse 23 tells us through the living and enduring word of God. And this is the word that was preached to you. And I can repeat that. This is the word that was preached to you. Are you listening to this word? This living and enduring word of God. Because this word of God tells us about this wonderful salvation, this plan that has been in the making since before creation. We have an amazing salvation. Have you thanked God recently for it? Have you accepted this salvation? If you haven't done so already, why not do it today? And if you have done so, why not thank God for this salvation that he has given to you, that he's offered and that you have accepted because it is the wonderful, most wonderful gift that you will ever receive, this gift of salvation. It came at a great cost. And it's worth more than anything else in the world. Let's make sure that we thank God for the great blessings that he gives to us. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his glorious presence. To God our Savior, through Jesus Christ.